Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, Myron Jobson, Senior Personal Finance Analyst at Interact Investor, is with me to weigh up the benefits and pitfalls of cash versus investing on the back of rising interest rates over the past 18 months. But before we start, this is being recorded in early August and we'll be mentioning the June inflation figures rather than July's, which at the time of recording haven't been announced. So let's get straight to it. So for the first time in well over a decade, savings rates are looking attractive. And this is because, as just mentioned, interest rates have since December 2021 been rising. They've went up from 0.1% to 5.25%. And those interest rate rises, they're an attempt by the Bank of England to try and cool down red-hot inflation, which of course has not happened yet. The June inflation reading came in at 7.9%, which was lower than expected, but it is still very high. While inflation is proving a real headache for the Bank of England to try and control, those interest rate rises have made cash more attractive. So if you're in one of the better paying savings accounts, you can get between 4% to 5%. Whereas a couple of years ago, in general, savings rates were at rock bottom levels. In addition, cash-like investments, such as money market funds, typically you can find yields between 4% to 5%. And also um, bonds, um, some of the bonds that have viewed the lowest risk, such as gilts, are offering similar levels of income. Now, while cash has become more attractive, the losers of those interest rate rises are the millions of people who have fixed rate mortgages that have either ended already or are about to come to an end. And in addition, those that are on variable rates, they've seen their uh, payments shoot up instantly. So Myron, what's the current state of play with mortgage rates? So for those looking to renew and take out a two or a five-year fix, what are the rates at the moment? Yeah, for those looking to refinance, looking to remortgage, it's quite difficult. And also those looking to get onto a property ladder. So when we're talking two-year fixed rate mortgages, the average rate, tick lowest likely, but it's still at 6.84%. And for the average five-year fixed rate deal, that rate's unchanged at 6.35%. And this is according to financial data firm Moneyfax. Wow, those mortgage rates, they are very high compared to what people have been used to over the past decades. I mean, when I last got my mortgage deal in 2019, which was a five-year fix, which is coming to an end, sadly, next summer, you know, I think the rate is 1.7%. The thought of, you know, potentially that going up to 6% if, you know, rates stay around a similar level is what's quite frightening, really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a generation of adults. I mean, I'm in my early 30s and I'm actually looking to buy a house too. And the last time rates were this high was what during the financial crisis. And since then, we've become accustomed to low rates, you know. So I remember a couple of years ago, getting a mortgage rate, a two-year fixed rate mortgage beyond 2% was seen as like, what? That's ridiculous. That's the outline now. You know, you'll be lucky. You can't find a 2% mortgage rate in this day and age. So it's, it's a shock to many adults, you know, adults such as myself, who's now looking to get onto their property ladder to see that mortgage rates have high, risen as high as they have risen to you know, now. For me, it's one of the main topics of conversation. You know, I feel like, you know, seeing friends and, you know, they're asking how the kids are and then they're asking 
when's your mortgage rate up? And then I'm asking them when's their mortgage rate up as well. It, I mean, it does show you the um, the effect that you know these interest rate rises are having. Yes, they're benefiting savers, but the big losers are borrowers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of my friends, one of my close friends, actually, he is he's come to end of his two year fixed rate deal actually, and end of August, and he's been asking me what should I do. He doesn't know whether you know he should go into variable rate and hope that mortgage rates will fall further so he can get a cheaper deal later than to fix now it's just you know it's a lot of people are caught between a rock and a hard place and they have to make some financial decisions soon um but in any case for those looking to remortgage it means you know for a lot of people hundreds of pounds more on their monthly bills which is quite sad it does look at the moment like interest rates have not quite peaked but you know and it's you know it's really hard for people to judge you know what will happen because you know towards the end of 2021 when those interest rates started going up no one would have predicted at the time that they'd now be at 5.25 percent yeah exactly i mean it's just and <laughs> i think it's a couple of months ago the market you know the market players they they expect interest rates to peak at around what 6.25 percent or 6.5 percent now that expectation has come down slightly because of the um better they expected forward in inflation um in june but it's it's hard isn't it you can't anyone short of a functioning crystal ball can predict the future and as such it's really important to main, uh, remain on top of your finances so whatever happens with interest rates just make sure that you your finances are in a good position um, to navigate through that period of uncertainty so let's move back to um, cash. So, you know, people they have got, got money in savings. If they've been in the better paying savings accounts, they've benefited from interest rates going up. The thing to bear in mind is that, you know, those better rates, you know, paying between 4% to 5%, the fact remains that that's below inflation. And I think that's one of the most important things to remember is that, you know, cash, yes, it is safer than investing in the stock market, but it's a mistake to think of it as a risk-free option due to the corrosive effects of inflation on returns and it's the same also the same uh, trend is playing out as well with um you know people that are buying individual bonds today looking to hold them to maturity if you're buying today you're accepting a below inflation income return at the moment and in contrast you know while there's no guarantees of course you know, if you go down the, the stock market route and um, we're going to get to this in, in, a, in a moment there's a lot of data that shows over the long term investing is the best route to potential success of beating inflation over the long term. So Myron, in terms of like long-term performance data for investing, you, you looked at some numbers recently, which proved that point really, that you know if you are investing for the long term, that is your best chance of investment success. Yeah, exactly. So you know, what we did, we looked at investment return versus savings return over a 35-year period since personal equity plans for those of people who remember it, that you know the short form is called PEPs since they were launched um, to the end of the last tax year so the 5th of April that just went by so we looked at scenario when the full annual PEP allowance had been invested annually since they launched in 1987 and then latterly the ICE allowance which overtook I suppose replaced PEPs and we found that the investments, when if you invest in um, in a product that mirrored the performance of the FTSE All Share Index, it would have delivered an almost fourfold return. So this would have made you a hypothetical millionaire, turning um, total contributions of around three hundred seventy-eight thousand into one point three seven million pounds. And this compares to a return, a cash return of. 
£591,000 had the same amount being invested in cash. And what we did, we used one month LIBOR rate as a proxy for cash in the PEP and then latterly, as I said, an ISA tax wrapper. But I should mention that over the past 35 years, the government has regularly increased the annual ISA allowance from £2,400 back when it was on the PEPs um, in 1987 to its current level of £20,000. But I suppose, you know, one thing about this data, it just shows the power of investing. And the key with investing is you have to give your money time to work hard for you and you have to be patient. You know, stock markets are intrinsically volatile, but over the long term, that volatility can lessen. You just have to be patient with your money. And of course, you know, there are no guarantees, but as Myra mentioned, it is very powerful food for thought for long-term investors. And one of the things that is really key to those long-term returns is the effect of compounding over time. There's, you know, there's other great studies as well that um, makes the same sort of points that, you know, over the long term, investing is the best way to potentially outstrip inflation. There's data from uh, Credit Suisse that shows that, you know, since 1900, US shares, they've retained 6.4% per year above the inflation rate and UK shares have retained 5.3% above the inflation rate. And there's also Barclays Equity Guild study. This study, it, there's lots of great data points in this study. One of them is um, looks at the performance of UK equities against UK government bonds and cash from 1899 to 2022. And it finds that over any two-year period, the probability of equities outperforming cash is 69%. But over a 10-year period, this rises to 91%. And there was other research recently from Schroeders, the fund manager, again, made similar point that, you know, the stock market over the long term is a better place to try and beat inflation. It found that, you know, over, over very short periods, so three months or less, there's not much difference in the likelihood of cash or beating shares or vice versa. But over long periods, the gap between shares and cash widens very significantly. So this research looked at an index of US large cap stocks versus cash. And it found that over a 20 year period, the likelihood of stock market investments beating inflation was 100%, which again, as mentioned, there's no guarantees that will happen in the next 20 years, but that is very powerful statistic that they've demonstrated. But however, though, it's, it's important to not completely write off cash. It does have a very useful purpose. Well, a couple of purposes. I mean, one of those is it's, you know, it's, it's very good to, as an emergency fund to have some cash. Do you want to run through that, Myron? Yeah, we, we all need cash in our portfolio. We need a rainy day fund, don't we? You know, we always say, when I say we, people such as myself say, try to keep around three to six months salaries worth in a rainy day fund. When you say rainy day fund, it's to cover life's unexpected expenses such as replacing um, a broken boiler for example so that's really really important and also you mentioned short-term goals it's so important to have 
money for short-term goals you know investing we often say that if you invest make sure you give yourself a long-term investment time horizon at least five years because stock markets are intrinsically volatile but again if you give your money time to work hard for you that you can that volatility um can, i suppose lessens over over um, a longer period so if you have short-term goals you could you run a real risk of losing money and so therefore that cash is probably better suited in a savings product while even though the um, interest you might get and it might fall below inflation as in you know the real value of the money is less it's still important to have that ready available cash for again just to spend on emergencies you know life's many emergencies but I think sometimes, you know, when I think about my own portfolio, I do have money in cash and I have money investments because you need both. You you need both. It's not one or the other. It's a matter of having both. We don't just have, many of us don't just have one financial goals. We have a multitude of financial goals, some short-term, some long-term. You know, I'm looking to buy property within the next year. So what does that mean? I have to look at my portfolio and think, right, can I afford the risk of investing, knowing that with investments as they are now, it's, it's an incredibly volatile market because of interest rates and other things, inflations. Can I risk just putting my money investments? Not necessarily. So I'm in the process of disinvesting, but I have longer term financial goals too. So I still actively invest in other areas and you know, I invest regularly for my longer term financial goals. So it's making sure you have both. It's a balance of cash and investing. Another aspect of it as well is that, you know, if you have a small part of your portfolio in cash, so, you know, in your ISA or your SIP, then you can act very quickly on opportunities when stock markets are volatile or, you know, if it's a existing investments that you've got that you see fall quite suddenly in value and you disagree why that's happened and you actually think that's actually a great buying opportunity or potential buying opportunity, then that allows you to quickly act rather than if you've got no cash at all, then you'd have to sell one or maybe a couple of your existing investments to fund those potential new opportunities. So we're now going to come up with a couple of suggestions for people who are going to potentially making their first foray into the stock market. What sort of funds or investment trusts or index funds should be considered? I'll cover off some potential active funds as one-stop shops. So for me, three really great options are a couple of investment trusts. These are global generalist investment trusts. They're highly diversified. They own typically hundreds of companies in a variety of sectors. As mentioned, they're global. So they invest in across the world. It gives you diversification by country as well. And those three investment trusts are FNC Investment Trust, Alliance Trust, and Witten. I think that they are potential good starter investors as one-stop shops. In terms of passively managed options i mean myron we both like the vanguard life strategy range don't we do you want to talk through them yeah i mean we like them our customers like them they're typically on our um, top 10 most bought funds list in that we put out every month and again you say one-stop shop they are very much one-stop shop funds and um, they split your money across a mixture of different assets mainly equities and bonds and they also they invest in across different regions so you have exposure to uk us as, as well as other regions and the best thing about it is when it comes to rebalancing portfolios and that's something that can be quite difficult not just for the novice investor but for many investors and with multi-asset funds 
it's already done for you by the managers who look after those funds. And the Life Vanguard Life Strategies is quite a few of those funds. We have a few of them actually on our quick start fund list, funds that we recommend to beginner investors. I think it was the, the 60 and 80% um, that we also recommend too. So they're low cost, they're one-stop shops, they do it for you, um, and they're really also easy to understand. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree on rebalancing. It's very hard to be disciplined when it comes to rebalancing. I mean, I've spoken about this before. Um, you know, a mistake that I've made is that, you know, I, I've owned Scottish Mortgage for over 10 years. And a couple of years ago, when its share price was soaring and over one one-year period, it was up over 100% at one point. I really should have took more profits than I actually did. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I mean, I should have done that. But I mean, it, as you mentioned, Martin, that the beauty of those um, Vanguard Life Strategy funds is that it does all the hard work for you and things like rebalancing. Yeah, and also, I, you know, past performance, not an indicator of future results, but it does feel nice when you see the fund has a strong long-term track record. And as we said in the well, before, that it's important for um you know, to give your investments um, time to I suppose work hard for you and when you have a fund that has strong long-term and um, track records it fosters confidence I suppose and to finish off Myron what would you say are the other sort of goals and rules that you know people should be looking to adopt especially if they're a beginner investor you know starting out yeah I think the first thing is that you have to think about your attitude to risk and how bumpy a ride are you prepared to take with the financial market inevitably ebbs and flows you might be happy to embrace a double digit return in good time but can you actually take the rough with a smooth and if you have a high risk appetite or very long investment time horizon you might be first perfectly suited to a high risk fund but if, again conversely if you don't then you might have to go up for a lower risk fund also diversification don't put all your eggs in one basket that is the name of the game um, when it comes to investing and when it comes to diversification that doesn't just mean investing in different stocks it also means having exposure to different sectors you know assets and regions and you know one thing i'll always say to investors is just think about why you're investing in the first place you know think about you know what are your financial goals is it to buy a house perhaps you want to um you know yes bolster your um retirement savings or maybe you want to save for a wedding whatever it is that will dictate your investment strategy and before you start investing you have to have a broader look at your personal finances i mean if you have um, loads of high um, interest debt you have to look you have to clear those first short you know you have to make sure that you can actually afford to invest make sure you have a rainy day fund as we mentioned earlier to fund life's many well any emergency spending that you know, might crop up and also be patient make sure you give your, your money time to work hard for you um, through investing all very sensible points thank you to myron and thank you for listening to this episode of on the money if you enjoyed it please leave us a rating or review and follow the show in your podcast app and if you get a chance tell a friend about it too you can join the conversation ask questions and tell us what you would like us to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. In the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interact Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.